0: Welcome to The New Chemist. We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Here on The New Chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as careers, community, research, and COVID-19. We're happy you're tuning in. My guest today is Dr. Lewis N. haim Thanks for joining me today. It is good to hear from you. Just briefly, I'll inform my audience about you. Dr. Lewis N. Jungheim is a retired research fellow. He is the owner of LNJ j Consulting in which his primary focus is the critical evaluation of potential in-licensed opportunities for big pharma clients. He is an affiliate associate professor of medicinal chemistry at Roosevelt University School of Pharmacy in Chicago. And he has served as a member of the departmental advisory council and taught the medicinal chemistry of antibacterials. He is the former president of the Inuit Art Society He was a medicinal chemistry consultant to the NTB Now Initiative via Lilly's connection to the World Health Organization and the William and Melinda Gates Foundation. He is an accomplished inventor with 31 plus years of medicinal chemistry experience at Eli Lilly & Co in infectious diseases, including antibacterials, antivirals, and antifungals. His medicinal chemistry experience includes oncology, neuropeptide receptors for neuroscience and endocrinology, and he has also served as the inventor of the NK1 antagonist tridipitant. He was an NIH NCI postdoctoral fellow, from 1979 to 1981, at the University of Rochester, New York, serving in Andrew Kennedy's research group. He earned his PhD in 1979 at the University of Wisconsin-Madison at bain bari Research Group, he earned his BA in 1975 at Northwestern University at Evanston. Illinois. In 1992, he was elected the chair of the Garden Research Conference on Herocyclic compounds, and he has served as an ad hoc member at the NIH study section in drug discovery and development. Highlights while he has served, he served as the epigenetics platform chair, invented and developed small molecules that facilitate the oral uptake of therapeutic proteins. He was a member of the team that invented three clinical candidate, three clinical candidates growth hormone secretagogues for the treatment of frailty. He developed potent and selective inhibitors of MRP-1 transporters. He invented the first non-peptide-based inhibitors of rhinovirus protease. He was a member of the Lilly-Argoron team that discovered Vericept, which is otherwise known as or mesalate for the treatment of HIV AIDS. He invented novel cephalosporin based prodrugs for the specific delivery of cytotoxic agents like vinca alkaloids and doxirubicin via tumor specific conjugates. He invented the first potent broad spectrum antibacterial non-beta-lactam inhibitors of penicillin binding proteins. So these are just a few of his accomplishments. However, Lou is an accomplished medicinal chemist. Please welcome Lou John. Hey Lou, thanks for joining me today. It's good to have you here. Good to see you again, David. Yep. Um, so um, it you have worked in worked as a postdoctoral fellow, got your PhD from the University of Wisconsin Madison. You have uh, served as a research fellow in many ways. Um, what have been your long-standing interest in the field of science?
1: I guess, you know, first of all, let's start with, I was always good at math. Okay. okay. In in school, and my dad was an electrical engineer. Right. Okay. And so I think I always had a scientific bent. Okay. And, and while, um, let's say, in Catholic school, science wasn't exactly the... Uh, preeminent class. By the time I got to high school, I think I really loved my science classes the best okay. and had just a terrific um, chemistry teacher in high school too, which really kind of got me down that path. Okay,
0: so, okay. so it, you would you say it was a chemistry teacher that kind of encouraged you and inspired you to
1: pursue chemistry as a undergraduate and eventually? Graduate? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was kind of my favorite science.
0: Okay, okay,
1: that's good. So, um,
0: in terms of, uh, again, chemistry, what has been your focus? What was your focus primarily?
1: Well, my focus primarily was synthesis, making molecules.
0: Okay. okay. Um,
1: but as I got into my career, and I think part of the reason that I got into making molecules originally uh, was because I think as an undergraduate, I, re- I really developed an interest in why do medicines work? And understanding that these were organic molecules that did things in your body that were of great benefit. And I think part of that was my junior year in college, I actually had an infection in my leg. Serious. And and the doctor told me that if they didn't find an antibiotic that worked, they might have to cut off my leg. And so I think that was really kind of the, the beginning of my interest in why do organic molecules potentially do what they do in the human body. Wow.
0: Oh that's an interesting story. So um so, so would you say uh so your research was primarily focused on organic synthesis. That's good. So given all of your accomplishments, um how do you maintain view of the bigger picture in your career and in your life in
1: general? For me that's actually been very easy, David. Um, okay. First of all, I think a lot of my colleagues always considered me to be potentially not a completely serious scientist. Okay. Part of that was um, I actually, as an undergraduate, financed my education at, as an athlete mm-hmm. and, and per, you know, played all through college and, and progressed through playing semi-pro baseball in the Chicago area mm-hmm. um, in, in my youth. Um, I've always had active interest in photography creative things and organic synthesis is certainly um, a creative thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I love music uh, and, and, and and travel and so on. So I've always had, and motor racing actually has, has been a fascinating thing. And part of that is because of my siblings. Right. I've got a brother who's a mechanical engineer who actually works in the auto racing industry. Okay. So in and in fact that kind of drove me to Indianapolis where the speedway is and the Indy 500 and so on. But it was also the best job offer that I got, oh, okay. as well. So it was it was really um, a, a wonderful thing. Now in terms of my career, that's also been very easy because drug discovery, hunting medicinal chemistry, is so multidisciplinary. Okay, that you really have to work with teams. Uh, people that are are just as good at their own branch of science as you are at at your ability to make molecules. And so I'm talking about experts in various fields of biology, pharmacology, Mm -hmm. um, pharmacokinetics, toxicology, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and then even with physicians who are expert in, in the medical field for any particular disease that you're trying to target. Okay. and and so you really you don't become an expert but you have to become conversant in all of these different branches of science in in order to to really be um, an active participant in in a team effort Wow no, but you, have, you you have to be the guy and, and that's the cool thing about the medicinal chemistry yeah. the whole thing starts with an experimental molecule. Right. That, that the biologists start working with and, and you start refining. Okay, yeah, that's good, that's good. Becoming
0: conversant to be an active participant, that's good. Um, so how have you been adaptive and creative in the field of science? What, what area, which niche would you say you complement to adding a layer of creativity or adapting a concept
1: in a new way? Well, that's easy because I've worked on so many different things. Okay and I started out working on antibiotics
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and maybe one of the most well I think I've done a number of creative things. Okay. Um, the, the very first project that I worked on it at, at Lilly, um, mm-hmm. Lilly at the time was known as an antibiotics house okay. and and kind of the, the the game of penicillin cephalosporin type antibiotics was drawing to a close and there was the sense that really new things were needed
2: okay.
1: and and in actually, in a collaboration um, with Edward C. Taylor, who was a, a professor at Princeton at the time, mm-hmm. uh, has subsequently passed away, but still a dear friend of mine.
2: Right.
1: He, he had an idea where he was making square rings, four-membered rings with two nitrogens and a carbonyl to, right. to mimic the beta-lactam, which only had one nitrogen. Mm-hmm. Those turned out to be totally unworkable in terms of chemical stability. Oh, OK. And, and at the time, my first project was actually to try and, and make, make basically a backwards penicillin. Okay. So put the lactam in the five-membered ring and really kind of squish it down with a four-membered ring attached to it. Hmm. And, and Ted kind of inspired the idea of actually putting a five-membered ring with two nitrogens in it. Wow. And those turned into a whole field of uh, bicyclic pyrazolidinomes. Wow. That, that turned out to be very effective mimics of penicillins and cephalosporins and quite potent. Wow. And and, and so these actually acted as beta-lactams, but weren't beta-lactams. I, I think maybe, though, my most interesting idea came later on in when we were working on AIDS. Okay. And, it, and it turns out that this is where I first became... Um, exposed to a fellow named Anthony Fauci, who's been in the news of late, right. because he was kind of, of running and, and leading the way in in fighting the world of HIV AIDS. Mm-hmm. And, and I was part of a team that invented a compound called nelfinavir, which is an HIV protease inhibitor. And at one point in time was actually the top selling HIV protease inhibitor on the market. Wow! And the idea there was the, the molecule that kind of led the way came originally from Hoffman LaRoche. Okay. And there was some and and also this was at a, a, a really exciting time because this was really when molecular modeling, x-ray crystallography, and and quote unquote rational drug design was really coming into its fore. Mm-hmm. And there was the understanding that part of the molecule that Roche had had a a piece, a glutamine, in mm-hmm. what they called the P2 pocket. Okay. And the mantra from Roche was that the only thing that worked in the P2 pocket was glutamine. Okay. And that was the kind of thing that sort of challenged me intellectually when people would say something that couldn't be done. So not unlike you couldn't replace the beta-lactam in a penicillin or a cephalosporin with something other than a beta-lactam, which I had already done. Okay. I started playing with this region of the molecule. And what I did was actually inverted the stereochemistry of the glutamine. Okay. And so instead of using an L amino acid glutamine, I started making D amino acids. Okay. Where I put a moiety that could mimic the glutamine into the pocket where the glutamine was going Mm -hmm. and, and the tail out into the rest. Okay. And so by having an unnatural amino acid, this really impacted um, the chemical stability of the molecules because they were much less metabolically labile. And as we gained an understanding of, of taking natural amino acids out of a molecule, the glutamine was actually something that was really hindering oral uptake. And that kind of became the holy grail for the HIV compounds and in particular the protease inhibitors wow. um, was getting hydrogen bonding moieties and other such things out of the molecules. And it was working there and showing that these things could make very potent and better oral uptake molecules Wow, that got the whole rest of the team working in that region. And, and ultimately those ideas led to um, an even greater simplification in the molecule that became nelfinavir and and ultimately a compound that impacted um, the the lives of of AIDS patients. I'm very proud of that. Wow, that's that's good. That's good. That was
0: that was very. Uh, that's good. You know, I think you can dissect that some more, but we'll continue. That, that was good.
1: And and these things are all published too. So that's true. That's true. People can look them
0: up. Yeah. So. Um, How did you seek or find the right environment for you to thrive scientifically and intellectually? And what I mean by that is, you know, you went to Northwestern, you went to University of Wisconsin-Madison, you are NIH and CI postdoctoral fellow at the University of Rochester, New York. You have spent a lot of time in medicinal chemistry. So obviously, in some way, shape or form, you've had some success and you thrived scientifically and intellectually. How did you find the right environment for you to do that?
1: You know, it's interesting. I did a lot of soul searching my third year, or at the end of my third year as an undergraduate. Okay. Because by then I had finished basically all the coursework required for the degree. And I, I kind of spent a good part of actually my junior year thinking very hard about what I enjoyed most about chemistry. Right. And given some of my other interests, like as a boy, I built a lot of plastic models Mm -hmm. and I joined, you know, working with my hands, other such things. So it had to be a laboratory science. And then I look back and it was just organic seemed to be the best match for me and also kind of the chemistry that fit also by then. And that was the time when I really had the I had the infection in my leg that almost ended my baseball career. Wow! I ended up actually having my best season ever, my junior year, right after recovering from that infection. Wow! And and sought um, the guidance of actually Professor J. A. Marshall at the time, who was the best synthetic organic chemist at Northwestern at the time. Wow! And and as an advisor, he agreed to take me on um, to do my undergraduate research project for my senior year. Mm-hmm. But it was in talking to him and in my saying that basically I kind of got involved in the, the thought process of, you know, why do molecules work and so on. And that's where he said the beginning step there was really becoming the best synthetic chemist you can. Mm-hmm. And that's what pointed me um, to synthetic groups. Mm-hmm. And that led me to Wisconsin and working for Barry Trost, which I'm sure is a name that you know in synthetic organic chemistry. Mm-hmm. From there, um, it, it became clear that the place to do the kinds of things that I wanted to do was in the pharmaceutical industry.
2: Mm.
1: And that, that led me ultimately to Andy Kendi's group. Okay. Because and, Andy had actually been a prominent medicinal chemist um, in the pharmaceutical industry before he left the industry to go into his academic career. Okay. And, and he offered me the opportunity to work on a molecule called Taxol. Oh wow, you worked on Toxol. In fact, I was the first person to put the tricyclic ring system together, and that was my NIH proposal. Wow. You worked on Toxol. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And, and 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 so it was the combination of Andy's recommendations, Barry's recommendation, and their relationship to Jim Marshall mm-hmm. um, that that ultimately got me all of the job interviews that I really would have wanted to have I got to interview for the big companies and then being a Midwesterner it was really great for me to be able to relocate to Indianapolis mm-hmm. um, and and be near family in Chicago mm-hmm. that's good
0: that's good yeah that's good
1: so um given all your
0: responsibilities and accomplishments especially when you were busy uh, in terms of working on the postdoctoral fellow working at Eli Lilly um, how did you maintain a balanced life or how did you try to maintain a balanced life?
1: Well, first of all, I had interests. Okay. All right. So motor racing and boy, I moved to Indianapolis where okay. in, in, you know, there's a couple weeks in the month of May where you can really take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. I'm an avid golfer. Okay. There are a lot of good golf courses around here. Mm-hmm. You can do photography anywhere. Okay. But, but you come back to work and I think part of the reason that I managed to be able to be productive, creative and so on is because I had outlets for blowing off steam. Okay,
2: that's good. You know,
1: I, I could take a day, you know, and do something else.
2: Okay.
1: And so even, even though um, your, your mind is kind of always working, you know, your head never shuts off.
2: Yeah, that's true. In a
1: lot of ways, you're always thinking about how to make this molecule and so on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and I guess another point I would make is something that really contributed to my success was being a really good synthetic chemist. Mm-hmm. There was no molecule that ever intimidated me in terms of trying to make it. And so I was always willing to try crazy ideas because we could usually find ways to make pretty exotic molecules to try wacky ideas. Okay. And, and understanding that, that in medicinal chemistry, if you've not made something that's never been done before. There's no getting a patent and therefore there's no getting a drug. Okay. (laughs) And that's part of it too. But I think another side of it, and it's something that really got drummed into the heads of the people that worked for Barry Trost was the importance of participating in the scientific community. Right. And so it was always when you can publish, when you can go to meetings, go. And, and I think part of the interdisciplinary approach of medicinal chemistry and so on was, and, and of course you had the budget when you're working in industry to go to meetings that one kept you up with chemistry as a science, mm-hmm. but two also helped you get much more acquainted and deeper into the various biological aspects of the particular kind of problem you were working on at the time. Mm-hmm. And and to network, network, network mm-hmm. with people that worked at other companies right. or other academicians who were working in the field. And that was really a networking is just absolutely critical, not only within your company, but I think also the experts outside. And so I have lots of friends who worked at all kinds, you know, at all the other big pharma companies. Right.
0: Yeah, so that's good. So um In terms of your success, what would you say has been like the main contributor or or guiding factor or guiding philosophy for your success as a uh, graduate student, as a postdoctoral fellow, as a medicinal chemist in general, what would you say is most the most to your success?
1: My father used to preach to me as a kid, find something that you enjoy doing because you're gonna be doing it for a long time. Mm and so seeking guidance seeking mentoring
2: okay.
1: really mattered but i would say the guiding principle through my whole career has been and it's all it's it made me happy through the whole thing you you have a lot of opportunities to go in different directions mm-hmm. in life as a chemist mm-hmm. the guiding principle for me is stick to what you're good at
2: yeah that's true
1: even even if there are other avenues, let's say like management, where you might make more money or maybe have more power mm-hmm. um, or things like that, it was mm-hmm. for, for me sticking to what I thought I did best. Okay. Is is really what has kept me happy, productive, creative, and and successful. Okay. Wow, that's good. Sticking to what you know, sticking to your guns. Yeah. Yeah. Because so- because it's not, it's not like um, not like I ever wanted for, for um, money, excitement, fame, and and wonderfully interesting things to do and great people to work with. Mm-hmm. By, by s- sticking to being a scientist.
0: Yeah, that's true. Sticking to what you're good at. Yeah. So, how did you maintain vision and teamwork in your environment? You worked in you worked at, as a postdoctoral fellow. I take
1: it you worked in the team with a team of people, not by yourself. And, yeah. and with many, many different teams on many, many different kinds of diseases. And that was one of the great things um, a, a, about it, because it got to the point where, because you were a good team player, other people sought you out to help with their projects. Mm-hmm. And so people, people were happy to have me join their efforts. And I think a, a big part of that was communicating with your coworkers Mm-hmm. giving them latitude, okay. letting, that, letting them pursue their ideas as, as long as they continue to be successful. And I, and I also think um, really respecting and listening to the experts when another member of the team is the expert at, at the moment for what they're talking about.
2: Okay.
1: And, and then supporting and, and standing by Um, you know, their, their feedback and their guidance, especially if you're the team leader. You know, when, when, when there's not good news, you've got to stand up and say as much as I wish, you know, that we were where, you know, meeting the milestone or whatever, where we are now, we just can't because of these data. And, And a lot of that is just encourage the team to follow the data. It's a lot like what's going on in the world right now with the virus. Listen listen to the science. Yeah, that's true. Follow the science. Yeah. So
0: um, in terms of advice, do you have any advice for those wanting to become medicinal chemists, wanting to serve in industry and eventually in academia? Uh, what, would, what advice would you give to people who are either in the
1: undergraduate years or graduate years? What would advice would you give to them? Well, as an undergraduate, I would say do a lot of soul searching regarding what area of science interests you the most. Right. Okay. Because there are so many different directions that you can go. Mm-hmm. Um, be careful how you choose where you go to graduate school. Okay. What do you mean? And, by? Um, be sure that where you go is going to give you the best possible exposure in the field you want to pursue. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things about you know, maybe, you know, somebody wants to go to Harvard or Princeton or, or wherever, but that isn't necessarily where the best person or, or really good people in your field are practicing that science. That's true. Right? Yeah. And, true. And, and so you really you want to go somewhere where you will be able to get the best exposure um, and, and really good training in what you want to do. That's true. And then I think beyond that, the, the, the again, the big thing is network, network, network. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of the people that are around you in graduate school. I mean, one of the great things about working in, in at University of Wisconsin and in a group like Barry Trost was I've got friends all over the world now. Yeah, true. Because, because of people that I went to school with and then network, network, network. Seek Seek mentoring and... Uh, by by participating in the scientific community, you end up meeting people in your field that work at other companies, too. Mm. And, and those can be tremendous assets to you as you go through life. I mean, I was constantly getting calls by headhunters because of my contacts with other people. Wow, that's good. And, and, and so on. And so I always had plenty of other opportunities but none of them ever looked better I got really lucky and ended up in the perfect place for me right from the get-go oh wow, that's good that's good but so- I always had the chance to do other things um, oh. again because of the networking that I had done and the and the friends that I had made externally mm-hmm. and that's both in academics and in um, and in um, industry industry. and and it led to other opportunities like for five years i actually consulted for the national institutes of health participating in a study section because of the reputation that i had developed um actually both from people in academics and and in industry wow that's good that's good
0: yeah so um what has been some of the most beneficial advice you have received as an uh, as an undergraduate graduate, whichever
1: area of your career you received the best advice, um, I think I got terrific advice? advice, kind of every step of the way. That's good. You know, as I said, you know Jim Jim Marshall, who's unfortunately no longer with us. Um, he he really pointed me in the right direction of the the way to understand best about what he heard me saying regarding human medicine, Mm -hmm. understanding molecules and so on. The way to get into that was through the portal of synthetic organic chemistry and becoming the best synthetic organic chemist that I could be.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Because at the time, the best synthetic organic chemists that you can be were the people that big pharma were hiring to go into both either process chemistry, Or to drug invention, Mm -hmm. and and for a long time I thought you know I I might end up as a process chemist, you know learning how to most efficiently make new drug molecules. Mm -hmm. But I ended up for whatever reason, and I think it may be because of the recommendations that I got um, from Trost and from Andy Kendi and so on that the best fit for me was actually in drug invention. Okay. Uh, but, again, you know, with Trost, it was, of course, get your nose to the grindstone, mm-hmm. be a participant in the scientific community when you have the opportunity, mm-hmm. and network, network, network. Okay. And then with Andy, it was a lot of it was keep going, be creative, and publish every chance you get.
0: Okay.
1: You know, and, and, a, and a lot of that can be even when you have a chance to, you know, go to a meeting and give a poster. Okay. You know? Good. It's good. Yeah. So, Luman, thanks for joining me. I
0: appreciate it. Um, this was, it was good to talk with you. You too, David. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is The New Chemist, where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change.